Welcome to the Ancient Paths Podcast, a journey of unlearning to learn the New Testament church, where we look at what we've learned or experienced and hold it up to the light of scripture and stories of the New Testament and early church, then discover together how we can return to those ancient paths so the church would thrive and live again. I'm Daniel Sabo, and I'm honored to be your host. And today with me, I have Andrew McMahon. Uh, Andrew, thanks for being being with me, hanging yeah. out again. Um Today we're going to be talking about one of the early church guys, one of my my favorite to uh, just to read on to to study from, and he's got some pretty cool writing too. Um, but Clement of Rome, and so the uh, kind of the backstory to him, you know, he's served in Rome as a, a leader in the church from uh, ninety five, you know, to a hundred, kind of in in that area. Uh, died as a martyr. The I, I can't remember if it's still there or if it's something that was there for a long time. But the way that they killed him is they, you know, tied like an anchor to him and drowned him. And his followers and the people in that area actually created a monument, like at the outermost part of the tide. So, like whenever the tide went out, you could see the monument, and it was a way to, you know, remind them and to encourage. You know, it's one of the things I I want to talk about in a future podcast of just kind of the martyrdom stuff that took place and how people saw it. And so uh, anyhow, but died, died a martyr. Um, but it is extremely likely, I, there's, you know, some scholars say that we don't know or that you can't know, but in Philippians where Paul talks about Clement, it's this guy. Uh, and so this is someone who was a, uh, a disciple of Paul uh, and very likely met um, and, and history speaks to that he met some of the other 12. And so, again, you know, we've got guys like Polycarp who uh, were discipled by John and, you know, met some of these guys, which is really cool. But for Clement to be mentioned by name in Scripture and to get to kind of hear him, I mean, what a cool bridge, you know, that that is. And so yeah. just a neat life. Uh, again, because there's some that say, you know, we don't know that it's him— Two early church uh, guys that wrote about uh, uh, Clement's connection to Paul. Uh, one we talked about a couple uh, episodes ago of Origin, and then another guy, Tertullian, which we'll talk about in, in the weeks to come. They both talked about this is the same guy that Paul talked about, and these are some of his connections and stuff. And so the the space to say we don't know is, honestly, I think sometimes people just think it's cool to to say you don't know, or it could be somebody else, or maybe they're not the real author, and it mm. doesn't really mean anything. But anyhow, uh, so Clement, so first and second Clement, so these are like epistles or letters uh, from him. He's in Rome. He's writing to the church in Corinth, and that's what these letters are. And there's tons of really cool stuff in there. But part of what's happening is in Corinth, they have overseers that are established by, you know, by the Pauls or the Twelve, you know, who are saying, hey, these are honorable, you know, trustworthy leaders, follow them. Well, in Corinth, they, for whatever reason, they're removing these leaders and they're installing their own leaders, and they're doing it in a very immature, very unhealthy way. And so Clement writes a letter to them talking about this. And so that's kind of the bigger picture of the conversation mm-hmm. I want to have today of, you know, the the... the what does leadership look like in the church? Some of the the biblical words that were used, and practically kind of how it played out. So the the three words that we'll we'll touch on today is uh, the word bishop, the word elder, 
and the word deacon. Those are really the primary uh, titles or you know names given to those leading in the church. And so, um, so I, I think why the Clement of Rome conversation is so well connected to them is he was dealing with issues, which it's funny. It's funny to me. First and Second Corinthians is Paul writing to the Corinthians because they, you know, they're being disorderly and they're, you know, having these problems. And then it's mentioned that there's another letter to the Corinthian church that we don't have anymore, but uh, but it, it alludes to that letter in in First and Second Corinthians. I forget which one. Uh, so we got three letters from Paul, and now these letters from Clement. These were a, a wild people. I don't know what the the problem with the church in Corinth was with mm-hmm. these guys. They needed a spanking or something, but um, but something that's really interesting. So again, I, I have zero desire to to bash any church to any any religion or anything, but something that is really prominent, really, uh, if you start reading anything for the early church, early church fathers, you're going to find a lot of Catholic writing uh, speaking to the, the early church guys. And so Clement is one of those people that they you know, they, they use kind of his name to trace the, like the Roman Catholic Church back to, you know, Peter's the first Pope, and then, mm-hmm. uh, which, again, maybe this is a conversation for a future date that that's not, it's not how it worked, it's not how it happened, it's not, it's not accurate. But they, they speak to even Clement's writing to the church in Corinth saying, hey, look, he's from Rome, you know, he was like the the Pope or the leader of the, the Roman Catholic Church. He was in Rome, so of course he has the authority, and he's writing this other church because he's from a place of authority. And they kind of take his letters to affirm uh, Catholic roots, essentially. But in Clement's writing, he doesn't mention any kind of title, any kind of anything, certainly not as the, you know, the the bishop of Rome, the, you know, the pope of Rome. There's He doesn't even really mention his name in his writing. And so the idea that this somehow affirms that, I think, is uh, there's no contextual writing to make that connection or anything. This is a guy who is leading a church in an area not terribly far from another area that's struggling in the area of leadership. And so really cool letter. Uh, you can read it. You can, I mean, they're they're still available and everything now where you can uh, download PDFs or the, you know, I'm sure people publish and put them out for you to to buy if you want. But it really, a lot of what he talks about is kind of what's going on uh, with them. And so um, essentially what he's saying to, the, to the, the people of the Church of Corinth, he's saying, envy got the better of you guys, that you were looking at titles and you were seeing things the wrong way. You were affirming and choosing who should be leader and why they should be leader, measuring all the wrong stuff. And and your arrogance and envy is causing problems that are affecting much more than you. So again, you have to remember that when we when when we read the the book of Corinthians or when we say Clement wrote a, a letter to the Corinthian church, it's not talking about, you know, First Baptist Church of Corinth. It's not talking about a church. It's talking about a whole bunch of house churches. And so this was happening in multiple locations. This was had become kind of a, an epidemic of issue in that area. And he's writing a letter to kind of uh, come against what's happening broadly. Mm-hmm. And so he says a lot in there, but but the the main 
symptom that he identifies is envy, you know, youthful uh, arrogance, and the, and the the pathway out of this is you need to humble yourself. You need to repent for what you've done. You need to humble yourself. And then he really affirms all the different passages and places where the Bible says leadership is a good thing. You know, leadership mm. is helpful. Leader, leadership is beneficial. Um, you know, some of the problems that were coming up is they were using age as the ultimate. It doesn't matter about your testimony. It's just age. Or they would use gender. They would use, uh, you know, their their social status. And Clement's saying it's not those things. Like, stop using that to create, you know, your answers the Bible gives. This is, you know, the spiritual maturity in these things is what we're supposed to be looking for. And so uh, really kind of a tremendous uh, gift that he is to the church in Corinth and, and a really cool uh, piece of literature. I mean, his life, but, you know, the the books, the the letters that he wrote... Um, the first one kind of an addressed letter to them and the issues, and the second one really almost like a sermon, um, just powerful for what was going on in that time. And so, you know, why does this matter? Why is this important everything today? So uh, this is something you and I have talked about a lot. That it's, it's fascinating to me uh, as I, you know, I grew up in church, been a part of a, a bunch of different churches, been to a lot of different churches in, in the West. There's a pretty clear this is how a church operates, this is the leadership of a church, this is the leadership structure of a church um, that exists, you know, in the Western church. And if you bring in the language of bishop slash overseer, elder, deacon, when speaking of leadership in the church, you will find very few churches that use that language of the inclusion of all three of those in their leadership style. You have uh, the word pastor that people use synonymously with leader, with uh, communicator, with uh, decision maker, visionary. Pastor doesn't mean any of those things. I mean, mm -hmm. so maybe sort of leader is implied in that like a, a shepherd is a uh, leads the flock, cares for the flock, but pastor is a beautiful word with amazing meaning and context and everything to it, but it's just be become like the Christian word for CEO, almost. Mm -hmm. And so I think part of why this conversation is so important is if we want to build the church God's way, if we want to, you know, return to the ancient paths, if we want to 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 see how was the how was the church established, how did it operate in that day, we have to come back to this biblical language, and I think if we kind of allow ourselves to be placed in the position of, of the church in Corinth, and then we read Clement's letter to us, and we say, okay, we've created our own way, you tell me, like, you help me to see how is this supposed to look, and then from there we, you know, start to move into that place. I think that would be uh, just a tremendous blessing to the church, but... I know I've shared a lot. Any any yeah. thoughts or questions or anything so far from any of what we covered or Oh, it's so good. Can you can you unpack and maybe just talk about those three, the, the bishop, overseer, deacon, and elder, the differences um of yeah. them and yeah. 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 So uh bishop slash overseer, uh that's the that's the word uh episcopos. And so 
the Episcopal Church, that's the language where that comes from. Uh, bishop and overseer is really two two translations of one of one word. Uh, they mean the same thing. Now, what's what seems to be kind of tricky is the word for uh, for bishop and overseer uh, is sometimes used what seems to be interchangeably with the word for elder, which is the uh, presbuteros. And so the uh, elder slash bishop kind of seem to be used where it sounds like they're being used the same, but then there's some contexts where uh, there's a clear difference between the two. Again, I still have so much more to learn, but from from when I'm looking at the early church, it seemed like bishop was maybe a word that was used for the person who was an elder, but was maybe like the leader of elders is when it was used where it was distinctively different. Uh, so uh, Clement is a bishop of you know the area of Rome, and so. Polycarp was the uh, was a was a bishop in Smyrna, and so these are guys that they have a leadership um, respect from other people. They have a uh, uh, you know a, a sense of overseeing overseers, maybe in a way, mm-hmm. but that really their role is an elder. So they're not doing something necessarily different per se. Their their aim is still the same, you know, responsibilities. And when it talks about how you treat the church and how you help the church. It seems like in those contexts, the word becomes interchangeable. Um, but in early church roles, when that word was used, it was often to denote someone who was, you know, kind of a, a prominent or the prominent voice in that region of helping to oversee the church. And so there, there's a lot more to it. And then uh, deacon is the diakonos, and that speak, that's it's the word for servant. Um and so that's speaking to uh, the you know caring for the widows and the orphans in a practical way, the change purse, you know, the the finances and helping to you know ensure things go to and and used in the proper in the proper way. And so, really, a lot of what we know for the practicality of these things we find in Clement's writing. In mm-hmm. in, in First Clement, there's a lot of practicality that's given for how this is walked out, how this is used, and so. Um, so really there's kind of two roles, bishop slash elder, and then deacon. Maybe you could say there's three, um, but the delineation of the difference between elder and deacon is clear. Between bishop and elder, it's a little bit more nuanced, and so mm. that's kind of the three slash two yeah. titles. It's It's powerful, I mean, and then even how you're talking about how even the word pastor has been... Yeah. Um, kind of been like you said, like the Christian version of CEO. Yeah. And just the importance of coming back to the to the word and coming back to um you know, what these gifts and these graces that that God's put on people, what it really means, because I think we want a flourishing church, a healthy church, and you know, to let the word speak and define those so that we can really walk in it versus, you know, coming up with our own definitions or, right. or, um, but yeah. Cult- just... Culturally, what seems to work, because I, I can speak from the perspective of, 
you know, I've served in churches as, you know, lots of different roles. And then I've served in churches as the, the, the senior leader, the, mm-hmm. the pastor, whatever the language it's used. Most of what you read, uh, both church leadership and otherwise, uh, really kind of views that word pastor through the lens of visionary, mm-hmm. you know, leadership, you know, CEO language. And there is a very real and enticing idea to that where you're the guy, like you make the calls and you, you know, nothing gets done unless it meets the picture that you have and, and, and you, and you're building this thing and you're bringing the right people onto the team to build this thing. And there's a, um, and I don't mean this from necessarily a, like a really gross version of it, but it there's an enticement of your ego of mm. uh, I'm I'm building this thing. I'm I'm the you know I'm the, the 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 top of this you know this leadership structure and and ultimately I decide everything. You know there's there's a there's a, a very real thing that you feel mm-hmm. uh, in that place, and even amazing people that their heart is to selflessly serve the church and their heart is to um, to be honoring and to find the right people and to hear from God on the vision and what's going on. I, and I by no means am I saying pastors who view leadership this way, who have viewed leadership this way, that there's something innately wrong with them or something ugly about their approach. <clears throat> but I would definitively, absolutely say that is not what I believe a biblical way of leading the church is, and there's a joy for those leaders to experience if they look at this and and lead like this as a part of a group of people rather than seeing themselves as mm-hmm. um, something so separate as as what we see in most churches today. And it's not easy, you know. When we when we started Woodland, this was one of the things that we talked about was okay, you know, we we believe that elders and deacons, this is what it's supposed to look like, this is what it's supposed to be. I know as much as I know, but I don't know practically how to walk this out, but we're going to try. Mm. And so there's these moments where you sit back and you're like, this is so beautiful, this is, this is what it's all about, and this, it all makes sense, and it's all clicking, and it's all working, and and then you come to these points where there's like decisions to be made or there's a, 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 a choice or a response to something and what you don't all see it the same way. You don't all necessarily uh, have the same idea of this is how we move forward. And and then then you start going from a very practical perspective. Well, now what do we do? Mm-hmm. You know, how do how do we move forward? And so there's a there's a challenge to it also. Mm-hmm. And again, I've said this before, but it's important to say leadership is a spiritual gift. So this isn't somehow saying that democracy and however many elders you have, they vote, and that's the answer to things. Mm. I think that's an oversimplification of it because leadership is something that you see in the church and you see, you know, Timothy over Ephesus and and then these guys in this story too. So leadership's an element of this, and whether that be through the, the lens of using the word bishop or something else that that's part of it too but if every time there's not a unanimous view on something 
that you say, okay, then I'll decide. That's that's probably not the right answer either. You right. know? So it's more it's more complicated than that. But there's the challenge to that. And then on the deacon side of things, uh, for Woodland, this has been a you know a part of our journey learning this too, is at the beginning, it's like you guys are the deacons. Here's how we're gonna do it. This is what the Bible says. Like, look at this, stare at this, study this, and we're gonna walk this out together. Well, at the beginning, for the most part, deacons or people who have served in the church, they don't necessarily have experience or confidence or feel the release to say, I'm going to make these financial decisions as this group of people, or I'm going to help our church to you know thrive in these areas of taking care of these groups in need. So there's there's a learning curve to beginning this versus if this was the third or fourth generation of deacon serving in a church where everyone has this context, everyone has this history uh, behind them. And I think more recently that 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 element for us has been really cool. And we're at we're at the spot where I think we're 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 starting to really see them take that role and run with it in a very cool way. But part of what that looks like is in the in the early stages where I'm not sure what to do, I don't know where to start, I've filled in. Okay, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. Mm. But but this is ultimately you guys need to do this. Okay, I'll take care of it. You guys need to do it. And so we're past that and they're saying we're going to do it. This is our responsibility. We just need this information or we need this context or help us to understand this. But then what you begin to bump into is as I've either started being the one doing it or, hey, I'll fill in this last piece, I have a way of doing things. I have an idea of how things should be done. I've got a practice of mm-hmm. of what I've normally done. And they're having to boldly and rightly and in love, which they are, say, no, we're not going to do it your way. Mm-hmm. We're, we have to change the way that you've done it to do this well, so that we can do it. And in that moment, that same enticing, you know, whatever, right. it's the reverse side to it where there's a temptation. What do you mean, no? Like, you mm-hmm. can't tell me, no. you know, that that the the whisper from, you know, I would say hell or flesh or whatever uh, to, to choose this path. Yeah. I felt it in that moment, but I sat in it for a second and uh, just this joy came in. We're getting it. Like we're finally walking into this. We're we're finally seeing this in the measure. I I think that will really produce the type yeah. of fruit that God wants us to see. And so, not only is the the language very different, the pathway, even with our intent starting, we're gonna do it this way, has been a challenge. Yeah. Everyone's on board. Everyone wants to do it. It wasn't a change in structure, and it was still very difficult just because of culturally. How different it is. Yeah. Wow. And you even see like um like even just Clement's warning or an instruction, like the repentance and yeah. the humility, like even in that moment, like there was a measure of repentance. There's a measure of, okay, like I feel this grating or I feel this, you know, tension inside, but then allowing the Lord to correct or prune or or you allowed your heart and mind to be changed and you turned to him and and that that took humility and and even in the conversation of 
what was coming to mind was the the difference between unity and uniformity yeah. and how like that's a big part of embracing this like church structure how god designed it where because we're all graced differently you know the the spiritual gifts or even you know a lot of people have different terminology for it but those leadership gifts mm -hmm. um like the the apostle you know prophet pastor evangelist teacher yeah. that whole conversation um a lot of times it's we're gifted differently wired differently but that's not a bad thing right like even as you're talking about earlier like we're not everyone saw it the same way where you know from a ceo you know business perspective like that's a problem that needs to be solved like right. that's okay well who's at the table that maybe shouldn't be right. or um yeah, who, who didn't understand me the first time right they saw it differently it's it's because they weren't listening or because they haven't bought into the vision right and so which that's very different <laughs> than you know a living breathing body you know, right. a living, breathing temple, living stones being built up into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's very, two very different things. Right. You know, one's, you know, controlled and, and one's growing. And yeah. and so, like, unity, uniformity, talk about that. And, you know, where where we see it differently in, in this world is an issue. Where we see it differently, you know, in the context of church is actually a beautiful invitation. Yeah. Talk about that. The diff what is those? What yeah. are those? Yeah, I think there's there's so many. Um, yeah, the the First Corinthians at twelve, I feel like, is so important to this conversation of we are made differently. So, and I'll use a better word: we were designed differently. Mm. So, how God made me, the gifts, my inclinations, my uh, you know, how my mind works, how my heart works, how my there's intentionality and design in that. And you and I are extremely different. Mm -hmm. And that's not where there's, if I could just be more like this than I would be, and if you could just be. Now, certainly there's maturity and growth for both of us, but I I think sometimes there's this picture of this is this is what the ideal Christian looks like. These are the qualities they have. And if we could all become more like them, then you know, we would all win. But the problem with that perspective is then we choose one person as our closest template, mm. and usually we choose ourselves, or, or we choose... Someone like us. Someone like us, or we choose someone who we're aspiring to be like. Yeah. And then I feel frustration every time you don't act like me, or you're not valuing and, and pursuing things in the same way that I am. And so the the... We're a body. Christ is the head. First Corinthians twelve. The language. It's lots of places in Scripture, but um, a heart doesn't look to lungs and say you're pumping blood wrong. Mm. It's, that's not the lungs' job. Like they, they. It's uh, obviously it's all connected and everything like that. Liver and kidneys have different purposes. I mean, our our body is all working together toward one purpose. Mm -hmm. And what the kidney is producing, what the liver is, you know, producing, filtering, what the heart is doing, what the lungs are doing, there is partnership, but not necessarily really overlap per se. And 
And so when I see my part as one of the aspects to the body, I want to be a healthy heart. I want to be, you know, a healthy liver. I I want to I want to do my part well, knowing that it's helping the body as a whole. And so if part of my you know, responsibility as this body part is filtering out, you know, whatever toxin. That is going to be central to my my focus, my perspective. The dangers of that not being done well uh, are going to be very real to me. Well, to the lungs, to the heart, mm. different things, right? So in the same way, coming back to a, a practical application in the church, if, if I'm a, an elder in the church and I have a very you know, prophetic leaning, you know, gift to me, then that's going to be a lot of times the perspective and the lens that I'm seeing. If I'm a, an elder in the church with more of a pastoral shepherd leaning, then that's going to be a lot of the perspective What's of, of what, if I have a teaching, then that's going to be a lot of the perspective that I have. So you walk up to a situation and you see maybe a, a pattern happening in the church where, say, marriages are struggling. The prophetic leaning elder is going to say this is the problem and this is the solution and the pastoral is going to say this is the problem this is the solution the teachings this is the problem this is the solution and they will be different answers and probably right and all of them yeah and but not Some really measure. but not really different answers right they will sound different and if if that's as far as you get then you'll hear well we have we don't have unity yeah well if I'm running, my body is doing a lot of different things at once because I'm running. Mm. So my heart is doing more, my lungs is doing more. And so if the lungs say, we need more oxygen, this is a big deal. And the heart's like, oxygen, we need more blood pumping. We've got, you know, we're pumping at this rate. Mm -hmm. Which one's true? Well, they're both true because of something that's happening big picture. And so then what what happens is you begin to get excited about the different gifts, the different perspectives, the the honoring of, okay, I don't yet see how that perspective that you've brought is connected to this, but right. it has to be. Mm-hmm. Because if God is speaking to you about this in this context, then that's for us. And that and so that again, the humility of not only do I bring my part. I honor the other parts, and I and I think that's sometimes, not just in this conversation, but in as Christians as a whole, we're very comfortable learning from, listening to, and being moved by our gift or gifts like our own, and that's what's exciting to us. Mm-hmm. And then maybe we have a tolerance for it that we understand it's important for these other gifts, but it's it's not for me per se. And man, that's a trap. That's obviously unbiblical, it's not right. And so sometimes we see disagreement, we see lack of unity, but what we're actually seeing is the profound complexity of God's design in his church and the tremendous need that we have for each other. And so we have in Corinth, they're looking at their overseers and they've chosen whatever it is that they've chosen. They're not old enough. They're too old. They're, you know, come from this background or it's, you know, Clement talks about gender, you know, they're the wrong gender or whatever. And they're removing them from these roles to 
to put the ones that agree with whatever their idea might be. There's a thousand different ways that you can end up there. And it doesn't necessarily need to be something as, um, you know, villainous as we want to steal money from the church and these guys are in our pocket. It could have been spiritual gifts. It could have been preference in church that is causing them to make these determinations. And that, I think that all stems from that same, you know, that same root, that same misunderstanding. Mm -hmm. So, and how do we, so what are, how do you pursue unity? And, And then with the reality of the diversity of gifts, perspectives, how God is speaking to each person, like what's the, what would you say maybe one key or two keys are to walking in pursuing unity yeah without rejecting the diversity and without pursuing uniformity yeah yeah i think there's there's really three parts to it the first is um that we see god rightly that we understand that he ultimately is leading he didn't put these people into roles and then send them out for all of eternity to figure it out apart from him like he's still here he's still speaking he's still moving and so staying in a posture of you know humility and reverence toward him everyone mm-hmm. we all need we, we all need to be in that place reverence for him i i feel is such a such an antidote for spiritual pride it's such an antidote mm-hmm. for uh deception for uh division in the church so reverence for him i think is huge and and i'll i'll say the second one Intentionally, I'll say this one second, because I'm learning how important this is, that we have a joy, an understanding for, an excitement about, and a faith and belief in our part to play. Um, I think sometimes we can become so enamored with, and and maybe even in a good way, of what others are doing. So I, I can see you in the church and I see the way that you talk to people. I see the way that you lead worship. And I stare at that so much and I'm so grateful for that that I kind of set my sword down for the part that I'm supposed to mm-hmm. play and for and for the my contribution. And it it causes me to stop uh, bringing what I like my part to the meal that everyone is meant to partake in. And then that creates, one, people aren't receiving what they're meant to receive because I'm bringing my part, but then I start to feel maybe insecure or guilty, and then that creates questioning, what do I really have Mm -hmm. to offer? And then all you're doing is asking everyone else what they think. That is not a good place to be, Uh, and we, we we can't be there. So we need to understand, you know, reverence for God and his part, understanding our part and the value and the purpose of it, and keeping that submitted to him, not moving on from reverence, but in a place of reverence, seeing that. And then the other part, the third, the third is to really have a sense of excitement, love, anticipation, faith for what God is doing and everyone else. Um when I meet people in the church that are new, I got to speak with a, a gentleman yesterday after the service, got to pray with him, and never met him before, and he's sharing about gifts that God has given him that he used to walk in and just do things in life and circumstances. He you know, he was um, not seeing that in the last season and really sensing God calling him back wow. into it. 
And as he's speaking, something in me, and I don't even know if our church is going to be the church that he lands at, but I am so excited for this guy. There's like this redemption story for him and his family, which is amazing. But I could just, I don't even know the right word. I, it was like I could almost feel um, just the importance of him reengaging in the church again. Wow. And, and I think that's the third piece because when I understand that the other gifts, other parts are necessary, then I won't get in their way or I'll try to stay out of their way. And I won't argue when they have something. I'll sit back and let them do their thing. That is a that is such a broken version of what we're called to have. Mm-hmm. Because when I have a, a tolerance for an understanding that it's a necessary aspect to it, I'm not receiving from that. Mm. I'm not I'm not leaning into that. I just understand that there's probably some people that that's helpful for them. That's huge. That we don't know how gross that is. Yeah. And and I you see that in a lot of different areas of the church and there's not one area that is um you know not susceptible to that that you know if you've got a prophetic leaning where you know I'm all about the prophetic and I get yeah people have to be you know pastored that's fine they can do that but I I want to hang out here or you have the the teaching side okay fine have your community and have your relationships with each other and do your prophetic thing just you know be careful but man we need to be over here in this word thing and and the pastoral side of like you guys are trying to do all this other stuff and I've got real people here in front of me that need these real things mm-hmm. and that that perspective at, at best it will shrink and hurt and what's the word I'm looking for? Cause the church's growth to stop. It, it'll stunt the growth of the church at best. At worst, it'll tear it to pieces because yeah. it creates division where there isn't division. It creates factions and sects where there isn't factions. And so mm-hmm. um, I think that that last one is huge, but I think it has to be built on the other two. Yeah. That it's reverence from reverence for God, reverence in God, staying in a place of reverence and humility toward Him, and then receiving an understanding that I have an important part to play. And I may not have a title. I may not have a a clear uh, role that some people have. That's not what defines whether or not my part is crucial. Yeah. The, the truth is that is true for all of us. We all have a crucial part to yeah. play. And then a sense of uh, excitement for other other contributions, other gifts, other those very much unlike my own, um, which the pathway to all of that and seeing people that way is having the same love for others that the Christ has for others. Because when I love them, then that's that's literally. I was just thinking as you were sharing that, I just kept hearing, you know, the the greatest commandment, like love the Lord your God, you know, and love your neighbor as yourself. Like, yeah. ha, you know, loving God, honoring God, revering God, and loving. Um, your neighbors loving and of course that's a whole nother conversation of love but yeah. love doesn't seek its own it's not proud yeah. it's it rejoices in truth it's it believes all things it, it endures it's it's I love it's amazing man um I did have another question so in the conversation of the bishop and um elders and deacons you talked about um and I, it's, it's something I've seen you just being in a part of your life and a part of this community. I've seen you step into maybe more than ever. But really, um, 
walking in the grace God's put on your life as a leader and as um, as the bishop of our community, in our community, of taking up that space. And so my question is how, um, you know, whether someone's listening and they're a pastor or they're a leader or they're an elder or there's grace on them to lead or maybe someone who um, is listening who has been hurt by church leaders. The question is, how do we embrace in a healthy way um, what God's called us to as leaders and also not get caught up in this you know, we hear constantly stories of spiritual abuse and yeah. um, manipulation and control. What's the difference between that? Of course, there is a difference. But what's the difference between that and someone just saying, like, I've got spiritual authority? Although spiritual authority is what we're talking about. It's it's a huge part of um, God's design and God's church. And so spiritual authority in a healthy way versus abuse, manipulation, control how do you fully walk into that without as a yeah. leader? I want that's something for me. I'm a leader in the church. How do I fully walk in the authority God's put on me yeah. without being spiritually controlling or manipulative? Yeah. And even in a good heart, I don't want to be deceived in thinking that I it's possible for me to step into that and I don't want to. Right. So as a young leader, how would you encourage me and also someone listening, maybe they're afraid of this idea of spiritual authority because of maybe what they've seen, heard, or experienced? How can they re-engage? Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot there. I I think part of my answer is regardless of whether you're a leader or a person in the church, that one of your your main goals in life as a believer should be is to be whole and to be healthy. Mm. Because any area of undealt with hurt, rejection, shame from my past, whatever, it will mess with any good thing that you desire to do or to be a part of. And so I don't mean instead of being engaged in community, instead of serving in your church, just do this. But I think having a just a, a desire in your heart and a, and a responsiveness to the Lord of when something comes to the surface or when something is noticed that you will not just choose to move on what do you mean by that so when, what, what? yeah so i shared this at church yesterday um during worship there was this just really powerful moment you know of and it was about honoring god it was about how good he is and how just how huge and how loving and how worthy he is and my heart is singing a song of joy i am i'm experiencing i mean it's so right to love him it's so right to honor him and i was just experiencing this amazing moment with him and my eyes are closed so I, i'm not seeing myself but it was like a, a whisper from him man why are you making that face <laughs> mm -hmm. and for whatever reason i had this like scrunched up scowl on my face, uh, like somehow worshiping him is painful. I don't know how to describe it, but it was there. And there's more 
to what he talked to me about. But essentially what happened was the, the facial expression almost immediately changed. And I was experiencing an, an even greater measure of joy. And then the joy was showing on my expression, you know, mm -hmm. versus just being internally there. There's pieces of what was going on that he revealed to me in that moment. But there's more for me to mind there. I don't know all of why that's there and what that is and what that's connected to. But I'm not just going to move on. I'm, yeah. I'm not going to just say that was weird and then continue on. So I'm spending time with him asking him, what's going on? Is there a, is there a, a perspective I have that somehow joy is lack of maturity? Is there a perspective I have that... Um, that contending is the highest value. And so if I have a look of contending on my face, that's how people know I mean it. Or is it just a response to the idea of joy is fearful for me to believe that it's actually mine. And so I'm scared to be this joyful because what if it changes or leaves? Or I don't really know the fullness of the answer, but I realize that there's something there that requires his healing, requires his help, requires his truth. And I'm going to get it. I'm going to find it. I'm going to experience it. And I'm, and I'm not going to leave. That will not remain in my life. Mm -hmm. And so I think having a desire in a place where that's our response to, man, someone disagreed with me and I got really mad. What in the world? Like, there's no reason for me to be as mad as I was. Mm. I'm not going to move on. And so I would say that's really the starting point. You're not going to solve it all and see it all in a day, but just have a, a practice of, Lord, when I see something in me or when someone brings something to me, um, I'm not going to rush past it. I, I want to see healing. I want to um, see it broken off of my life. Wholeness. Be yeah, wholeness. Shalom. So when, when, I, when I walk through that, um, circumstance, situation, whatever, and 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 allow that to remain. Doesn't matter what role I'm in; it's going to get in the way of this. And so, I, I would say for those who have hurt and those who have been hurt by leadership within church, it is almost 100 percent of the time tied to that in someone's life. A leader who treats people in an ugly way. There's something going on that's not whole. Because if you're whole, then you don't treat people like that. Mm. And so I think really, you know, you don't have to dig around in your heart and your mind to try to find things. But don't be lazy either and not, you know, spend time with the Lord and asking him. But certainly when something comes to light, don't be, don't be quick to move on. And if you don't like what you find, you know, as a, a motivation or an intention is revealed to you, Welcome to the club. Like none of us like that. None mm -hmm. of us like having a an unholy or an unkind motivation revealed to us. But that's not yours to keep. The moment that I begin to see the scowl, I I have learned to start feeling joy in those moments because whatever that is, it's fixing to leave. Like that's not going to be in my life anymore. And so, um. I start getting excited when things are brought to light. I still feel the tension and the whatever awkwardness, but that's the beginning of something changing. And so if if you've been hurt in church, ask God for grace to know that it is extremely likely that whoever hurt you 
hurt you from a place of brokenness. It doesn't make it okay, but it helps you to know it wasn't because they were against you or there's something wrong with you or there's some unique quality that you have that makes people treat you that way. Mm -hmm. This is most likely someone else's brokenness. And it just spilled out of their life and it got on you. The allowing that to happen in your own life is only going to help you work through stuff that maybe you're dealing with or things that uh, are in the way of you know, you healing through that. And so either way, it's going to help you. Mm-hmm. All of that being said, and really that's probably 90% of the conversation. Yeah. The last 10 is that when I'm unhindered, I can really see my part to play and I can stand in that role because I think if I'm, you know, for me, if what I'm wrestling with is a fear of arrogance, then I don't say something just in case I'm being arrogant. Well, maybe there's an accusation of you're arrogant that I'm believing that is untrue. Yeah. So I'm not speaking in case that false accusation is true. Well, arrogance is possible, and, and I don't want any arrogance in my life, but am I going to leave boldness out of my life just in case? Right. So that's that's not good. And so choosing to stand in the role that you're in isn't about, you know what, to heck with anybody else's feedback and I'm just going to start telling people how it is. That is so immature. That is so unhelpful. That is not at all what I'm saying. But Lord, is there arrogance in me? Because if there is, um, I want I want to see it gone. Mm-hmm. But if there's a few people wrestling with the idea that anytime someone says something with confidence, that that's somehow arrogance, I need to love them and work with them and talk to them. And if there's things I can do differently, great. But I can't then come to full stop in case that might happen or because that happened. I have to continue to walk with learning and gleaning and growing and moving forward in that. And that, I think, has been probably the biggest piece to to me being able to stand more in maybe a greater measure or a greater authority of what I believe God has asked me to because I'm more submitted than I've ever been to Him. I'm more submitted to others than I've ever been to Him. I'm more whole than I've ever been. And honestly, man, I just I feel like the... The biggest piece is I kept waiting for the spiritual giant to walk in the room and tell me, now you can start speaking. It was like this weird, hmm. I don't know. And and the Lord, uh, through a lot of different means, it's some really cool dreams and through some confirmation words from other people, stop waiting, just start start living and speaking and, and leading as the man that, that I have made you to be and that I'm forming you more and more, maturing you in, uh, daily. Yeah. And that's not arrogance. That's not a problem. That's not spiritual abuse. Because yeah. the truth is the, the fullness of what God wants to do in my life or in anyone's life is a blessing to other people. It's going to have you know the fruit of the Spirit. Yeah. So the fullness of me being used by God is this, you know, whatever gifts, whatever role maybe I'm in, yes. But it's my friendship, it's my relationship. 
and saturated in all of that is the love of God, the peace of God, the patience of God, the goodness of God, the kindness of God, the self-control, you know, the, mm -hmm. that's present in all of it. So who's hurt by that? Right. You know, who's damaged by that? So. That's really good, man. It's a cool conversation. I think it's important. And, you know, I don't mean to, to gloss over the deacon piece. I think yeah, you know, that's, that's. I was going to ask you about it. Talk, I mean, I know we're already yeah, I, talking I, for a while, but. Yeah, I'll just, it. I'll just quickly say it's, it's. In many ways, it's the hands and feet of the church's action. And, and deacons, it's not their responsibility to go do everything while everyone else is free from it. They're leading the charge and ensuring those things are happening. So it really just speaks to God's heart is that spiritually, you know, the covering piece of the elder overseer, um, you know, the, the leadership piece connected to the, to the bishop overseer, but the care for the church, for the elders— Spiritually caring for them, coming against false teaching, you know, people coming in trying to cause division in the church. That's all part of that role. And then the deacon side of things is how are we practically, you know, helping the church to move forward, taking care of those who need uh, taken care of, um, you know, meeting the practical needs of what it takes to run a church and to, you know, to help families, to serve families, to communicate, create places for them to come together. If you own a building, you know, how to care for the building and those things. And so, um, all of it matters to God, and and all of it, He created these these roles and these places for people of God to serve in, so that His church would thrive. And that's that's amazing, and that's so much better yeah. than trying to fit one person to fill really kind of all of those roles, and then a, a bunch of support people to come alongside that vision. And um. Yeah, so I, I think it's worth doing, and I think Clement does a great job of coming against, speaking against some of those pitfalls that uh, that cause us or cause the church to settle for something less. So yeah. it's awesome. Well, thank you, Andrew. It's been really fun, yeah. uh, fun conversation. I hope that you and others would consider looking at and reading uh, some of Clement's stuff and First and Second Clement, and totally worth a read. Really fun just to hear in real time those pesky Corinthians, you know, in their wild ways, uh, you know, they're loved by God too. But uh, yeah, just a really, really amazing man in the early church. So awesome to get to talk on this. And again, if you have questions, please reach out. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us. We're on social media, Facebook, Instagram. Follow us on our YouTube page, you know, uh, subscribe there so you can see when new videos come out on on Wednesdays and then podcasts, Apple Podcasts, um, Spotify Podcasts, all that stuff out there. So uh, look forward to hearing from you guys. Thanks so much for listening. I'm not searching for some new truth. I'm just longing for the truth. You can't help but notice there's something missing. Would you help us get on it? Would you help us get on?